Footsteps behind you as you enter the woods. Night draws back its cape. Light illumines your path. Open your eyes. Listen. Welcome to Dark Softly Tales. Dark stories for dark hearts. I'm Mav Sky. Good evening and welcome to your nightmares, where we like to keep it dark and dreamy here at Dark Softly Tales. This is your host, Mav. And I am so happy to be back with you guys. Kind of all the riffraff of April is out of the way. And here we back are again to start a brand new story, which I chose to be The Wendigo by Algernon Blackwood. Now, I've been wanting to read the story for quite a while, and I keep thinking it would be a story that's really great transition from fall to winter. But for some reason this year, it feels really appropriate for this time period, and I'm not sure why. It's just been kind of a spooky feeling in the air. I don't know, maybe it's just me driving through those long, wide, open spaces through different parts of the States, but um, just kind of spooky, especially when you get into the woods. So I just felt like it was a really appropriate time to go ahead and narrate this story. Um, You know, I've been reading older stories here on the podcast for, I don't know, like the last year I've kind of gotten into it and I've really enjoyed it. I hope you guys have enjoyed it. And this one is pretty creepy, I think, as far as the older stories go. I mean, we can get into some other, you know, there's like the Screaming Skull. We haven't read, um, I think it's called The Monkey's Paw. We haven't read that here which we will do. I was talking to someone not too long ago and I was like, oh, it reminds me of the monkey paw, that story. And they just looked at me funny, like, what are you talking about? I'm like, you don't know that story? Okay, we're going to put this on the podcast because people need to know this story. (laughs) Okay. Now, if everyone wants to sit back and relax, or if you're driving in the car, maybe roll up your windows, kind of get yourself in a nice flowing state of mind. Obviously keep your eyes on the road, but just relax. And I'm going to tell you guys a scary story. But don't be afraid. I got your hand. There's nothing to be afraid of. Is there? Take my hand and hang on tight as we journey into the dark. The Wendigo by Algernon Blackwood Narrated by Mav Sky Part 1, Chapter 1 A considerable number of hunting parties were out that year without finding so much as a fresh trail, for the moose were uncommonly shy, and the various nimrods returned to the bosoms of their respective families with the best excuses the facts of their imaginations could suggest. Dr. Cathcart, among others, came back without a trophy. 
but he brought instead the memory of an experience which he declares was worth all the bull moose that had ever been shot. But then Cathcart of Aberdeen was interested in other things besides moose, amongst them the vagaries of the human mind. This particular story, however, found no mention in his book on collective hallucination for the simple reason, so he confided once to a fellow colleague, that he himself played too intimate a part in it to form a competent judgment of the affair as a whole. Besides himself and his guide, Hank Davis, there was young Simpson, his nephew, a divinity student destined for the wee Kirk, then on his first visit to Canadian backwoods, and the latter's guide, DeFago. Joseph DeFago was a French Canuck who had strayed from his native province of Quebec years before and had got caught in rat portage when the Canadian Pacific Railway was a building. A man who, in addition to his unparalleled knowledge of woodcraft and bush lore, could also sing the old voyager songs and tell a capital hunting yarn into the bargain. He was deeply susceptible, moreover, to that singular spell which the wilderness lays upon certain lonely natures. And he loved the wild solitudes with a kind of romantic passion that amounted almost to an obsession. The life of the backwoods fascinated him. Whence, doubtless, his surprising efficiency in dealing with their mysteries. On this particular expedition, he was Hank's choice. Hank knew him and swore by him. He also swore at him, just as a pal might. And since he had a vocabulary of picturesque, if utterly meaningless, oaths, the conversation between the two stalwart and hardy woodsmen was often of a rather lively description. This river of expletives, however, Hank agreed to damn a little out of respect for his old hunting boss, Dr. Cathcart, whom, of course, he addressed after the fashion of the country as Doc, and also because he understood that young Simpson was already a bit of a parson. He had, however, one objection to DeFago, and one only, which was that the French Canadian sometimes exhibited what Hank described as the output of a cursed and dismal mind, meaning apparently that he sometimes was true to type, Latin type, and suffered fits of kind of silent moroseness when nothing could induce him to utter speech. DeFago, that is to say, was imaginative and melancholy. And, as a rule, it was too long a spell of civilization that induced the attacks, for a few days of the wilderness invariably cured them. This, then, was the party of four that found themselves in camp the last week in October of that shy moose year, way up in the wilderness, north of Rat Portage a forsaken and desolate country. There was also Punk, an Indian who had accompanied Dr. Cathcart and Hank on their hunting trips in previous years, and who acted as cook. His duty was merely to stay in camp, catch fish, and prepare vengeance steak and coffee at a few minutes' notice, 
Punk had in him still the instincts of his dying race, his taciturn silence, and his endurance survived. Also, his superstition. The party round the blazing fire that night were despondent. For a week had passed without a single sign of recent moose discovering itself. DeFago had sung his song and plunged into a story. But Hank, in a bad humor, reminded him so often that he kept messing up the facts so that it was most all nothing but a petered-out lie. That the Frenchman had finally subsided into a sulky silence, which nothing seemed likely to break. Dr. Cathcart and his nephew were fairly done after an exhausting day. Punk was washing up the dishes, grunting to himself under the lean-to of branches, where he later also slept. No one troubled to stir the slowly dying fire. Overhead, the stars were brilliant in a sky quite wintry. And there was so little wind that ice was already forming stealthily along the shores of the still lake behind them. The silence of the vast, listening forest stole forward and enveloped them. Hank broke in suddenly with his nasal voice. I'm in favor of breaking new ground tomorrow, Doc, he observed with energy, looking across at his employer. We don't stand a dead Dago's chance around here. Agreed, said Cathcart, always a man of few words. Think the idea's good. Sure pop it's good, Hank resumed with confidence. Suppose now, you and I strike west, up Garden Lake for a change. None of us ain't touched that quiet bit of land yet. I'm with you. And you, DeFago, take Mr. Simpson along in the small canoe. Skip across the lake, portage over into Fifty Island water, and take a good squint down that thar southern shore. The moose yarded there like hell last year, and for all we know, they may be doing it again this year, just to spite us. DeFago, keeping his eyes on the fire, said nothing by way of reply. He was still offended, possibly about his interrupted story. No one's been up that way this year, and I'll lay my bottom dollar on that. Hank added with emphasis, as though he had a reason for knowing. He looked over at his partner sharply. Better take this little silk tent and stay a couple of nights, he concluded, as though the matter were definitely settled. For Hank was recognized as general organizer of the hunt and in charge of the party. It was obvious to anyone that DeFago did not jump at the plan, but his silence seemed to convey something more than ordinary disapproval. And across his sensitive dark face, there passed a curious expression, like a flash of firelight. Not so quickly, however, that the three men had not time to catch it. He funked for some reason, I thought, Simpson said afterwards in the tent he shared with his uncle. Dr. Cathcart made no immediate reply, although the look had interested him enough at the time for him to make a mental note of it. The expression had caused him a passing uneasiness he could not quite account for at the moment. But Hank, of course, had been first to notice it, and the odd thing was that instead of becoming explosive or angry over the other's reluctance, he at once began to humor him a bit. 
But there ain't no special reason why no one's been up there this year, he said with a perceptible hush in his tone. Not the reason you mean, anyway. Last year, it was just the fires that kept folks out. And this year, I guess. I guess it just happened so. That's all. His manner was clearly meant to be encouraging. Joseph DeFago raised his eyes a moment, then dropped them again. A breath of wind stole out of the forest and stirred the embers into a passing blaze. Dr. Cathart again noticed the expression in the guide's face. And again, he did not like it. But this time, the nature of the look betrayed itself. In those eyes, for an instant, he caught the gleam of a man scared in his very soul. It disquieted him more than he cared to admit. Bad Indians up that way? he asked, with a laugh to ease matters a little, while Simpson, too sleepy to notice the subtle byplay, moved off to bed. Or, or anything wrong with the country? he added when his nephew was out of hearing. Hank met his eye with something less than his usual frankness. He's just scared, he replied good-humoredly. Scared stiff about some old fairy tale. That's all. Ain't it all pard? And he gave DeFago a friendly kick on the moccasined foot that lay nearest the fire. DeFago looked up quickly, as from an interrupted reverie. A reverie, however, that had not prevented his seeing all that went on about him. Scared nothing he answered with a flush of defiance. There's nothing in the bush that can scare Joseph de Figo, and don't you forget it. And the natural energy with which he spoke it made it impossible to know whether he told the truth or only a part of it. Hank turned towards the doctor. He was just going to add something when he stopped abruptly and looked around. A sound close behind them in the darkness made all three start. It was old Punk, who had moved up from his lean-to while they talked and now stood there just beyond the circle of firelight, listening. Another time, Doc, Hank whispered with a wink, when the gallery ain't stepped out into the stalls. And springing to his feet, he slapped the Indian on the back and cried noisily, Come up to the fire and warm your dirty red skin a bit. He dragged him toward the blaze and threw more wood on. That was a mighty good feed you give us an hour or two back, he continued heartily, as though to set the man's thought on another scent. And it ain't Christian to let you stand there freezing your old soul to hell while we're all getting good and toasted. Punk moved in and warmed his feet, smiling darkly at the other's volubility, which he only half understood, but saying nothing. And presently, Dr. Cathcart, Seeing that further conversation was impossible, followed his nephew's example and moved off to the tent, leaving the three men smoking over the now blazing fire. It is not easy to undress in a small tent without waking one's companion, and Cathcart, hardened and warm-blooded as he was in spite of his fifty-odd years, did what Hank would have described as considerable of his twilight in the open. He noticed, during the process, that Punk had meanwhile gone back to his lean-to, and that Hank and DeFago were at it hammer and tongs, or rather hammer and anvil, the little French-Canadian 
being the anvil. It was all very like the conventional stage picture of Western melodrama, the fire lighting up their faces with patches of alternative red and black. DeFago, in slouch hat and moccasins and the part of the Badlands villain. Hank, open-faced and hatless with that reckless fling of his shoulders, the honest and deceived hero. An old punk, eavesdropping in the background, supplying the atmosphere of mystery. The doctor smiled as he noticed the details, but at the same time, something deep within him, he hardly knew what, shrank a little as though an almost imperceptible breath of warning had touched the surface of his soul and was gone again before he could seize it. Probably it was traceable to that scared expression he had seen in the eyes of DeFago. Probably, for this hint of fugitive emotion otherwise escaped his usually so keen analysis. DeFago, he was vaguely aware, might cause trouble somehow. He was not as steady a guide as Hank, for instance. Further than that, he could not get. He watched the men a moment longer before diving into the stuffy tent, where Simpson already slept soundly. Hank, he saw, was swearing like a mad African, but it was the swearing of affection. The ridiculous oaths flew freely now that the cause of their obstruction was asleep. Presently, he put his arm almost tenderly upon his comrade's shoulder, and they moved off together into the shadows where their tent stood faintly glimmering. Punk, too, a moment later followed their example and disappeared between the odorous blankets in the opposite direction. Dr. Cathcart then likewise turned in, weariness and sleep still fighting in his mind with an obscure curiosity to know what it was that had scared DeFago about the country up Fifty Island Waterway. Wondering, too, why Punk's presence had prevented the completion of what Hank had to say. Then sleep overtook him. He would know tomorrow. Hank would tell him the story while they trudged after the elusive moose. Deep silence fell about the little camp. Planted there, so audaciously in the jaws of the wilderness, the lake gleamed like a sheet of black glass beneath the stars. The cold air pricked. In the droughts of night that poured their silent tide from the depths of the forest, with messages from distant ridges and from lakes just beginning to freeze, there lay already the faint, bleak odors of coming winter. White men, with their dull scent, might never have divined them. The fragrance of wood fire would have concealed from them these almost electrical hints of moss and bark and hardening swamp a hundred miles away. Even Hank and DeFago, subtly in league with the soul of the woods as they were, would probably have spread their delicate nostrils in vain. But an hour later, when all slept like the dead, Old Punk crept from his blankets and went down to the shore of the lake like a shadow, silently, as only Indian blood can move. He raised his head and looked about him. The thick darkness rendered sight of small avail, but, like the animals, he possessed other senses that darkness could not mute. He listened, then sniffed the air. 
Motionless as a hemlock stem, he stood there. After five minutes again, he lifted his head and sniffed, and yet once again. A tingling of the wonderful nerves that betrayed itself by no outer sign ran through him as he tasted the keen air. Then, merging his figure into the surrounding blackness in a way that only wild men and animals understand, he turned, still moving like a shadow and went stealthily back to his lean-to in bed. And soon after he slept, the change of wind he had divined stirred gently the reflection of the stars within the lake. Rising among the far ridges of the country, beyond Fifty Island Water, it came from the direction in which he had stared, and it passed over the sleeping camp with a faint and sighing murmur through the tops of the big trees that was almost too delicate to be audible. With it, down the desert paths of night, through too faint, too high even for the Indian hairs like nerves, there passed a curious thin odor, strangely disquieting, an odor of something that seemed unfamiliar, utterly unknown. The French-Canadian and the man of Indian blood stirred each other uneasily in his sleep just about this time, though neither men woke. Then the ghost of that unforgettably strange odor passed away and was lost among the leagues of tenantless forest beyond. Chapter 2 In the morning, the camp was astir before the sun. There had been a light fall of snow during the night, and the air was sharp. Punk had done his duty betimes, for the odors of coffee and fried bacon reached every tent, and all were in good spirits. Wind shifted, cried Hank vigorously, watching Simpson and his guide already loading the small canoe. It's across the lake, dead right for you fellers and the snow'll make bully trails. If there's any moose messing around up there, they'll not get much as a tail-end scent of you with the wind as it is. Good luck, Monsieur Defago, he added facetiously, giving the name its French pronunciation for once. Bon chance! Defago returned the good wishes, apparently in the best of spirits, the silent mood gone. Before eight o'clock, old Punk had the camp to himself. Cathcart and Hank were far along the trails that led westward, while the canoe that carried Defago and Simpson, with silk tent and grub for two days, was already a dark speck bobbing on the bosom of the lake, going due east. The wintry sharpness of the air was tempered now by a sun that topped the wooded ridges and blazed with a luxurious warmth upon the world of lake and forest below. Loons flew skimming through the sparkling spray that the wind lifted. Divers shook their dripping heads to the sun and popped smartly out of sight again. And, as far as eye could reach, rose the leagues of endless, crowding bush, desolate in its lonely sweep and grandeur, untrodden by foot of man, and stretching its mighty and unbroken carpet right up to the frozen shores of Hudson Bay. Simpson, who saw it all for the first time as he paddled hard in the bows of the dancing canoe, was enchanted by its austere beauty. 
His heart drank in the sense of freedom and great spaces, just as his lungs drank in the cool and perfumed wind. Behind him, in the stern seat, singing fragments of his native shanties, DeFago steered the craft of birch bark like a thing of life, answering cheerfully all his companions' questions. Who likes dark stories? People who have experienced a touch of the dark side. People who are a little wiser to the world. People who like their bones chilled and their spines tingled. People like you and me. It's hard to find a story these days that write on the dark side with a touch of whimsy, humor, and heart. Mavsky spreads her dark wings and solves this problem for you. Head on over to Amazon and type Mavsky's name into the search engine. M-A-V-S-K-Y-E. At Amazon, you'll find her Tales to Chill Your Bones series, Girl Clown Hatchet series, Supergirl series, her cult classic novel, Wanted Single Rails, and, of course, her brand new release, Cold Hangs the Midnight. Choose your dark flavor and head on over to Amazon today. <laughs>